We're starting a new series, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through the book of Philippians. Now, for those of you who have been at Hill City, um, we have not done this yet at Hill City. We've not been through a book of the Bible, and we did it on purpose as we're trying to establish our DNA as a new church. If you're new here, um, well, everybody's new here because we're a new church. We're not even a year old. Uh, we started in May. Um, so this is, a, this is a church plant, and we're new. So when I talk about uh, things that are new, it's new to everybody. So when we were established in May, we did more topical teaching as we were trying to establish the DNA of our church, and we'll continue to do that. But just so you know, it is going to be normal for us at Hill City to get into a book of the Bible and go through it. Okay, so we're starting that today. This is what a lot of people will call expository teaching. So we're going to hit every verse in the book of Philippians over the next few weeks. All right, so if that's you, grab your notepad, get it out. Um, by the end of this, we hope you have a great grip on the book of Philippians. So with that being said, turn to Philippians. So open your Bibles, get your Bible apps out, go to Philippians chapter 1. And while you're doing that, I'm going to give you some brief history. It's going to be kind of a history lesson today. So if that bores you to tears, just come back next week. Probably won't be a history lesson. Okay, but we have to do this. We're going to teach this thoroughly and correctly. So Philippians was written by Paul. Now Paul, briefly, just kind of give you a little bit of his background. Paul was Saul. He was a prestigious Jew. His name was Saul, and he's one of the most prestigious Jews alive. He hated Jesus. He hated the gospel. He hated Christians. He hated Christianity. Saul. Hello. So he hated him so bad that he oversaw the murder and the murdering and torture of Christians. Right? So what happened is on 34 AD, he's traveling to go see some Christians killed, right? And the Lord smokes him, like strikes him blind, says, Dude, what are you doing this for? I'm not going to have it anymore. Paul gets saved. The Lord gives Saul, I'm sorry, Saul gets saved. The Lord gives Saul a new heart, not just a new heart. gave him a new name. Saul then turns to Paul, and he becomes a believer. That's important because here's the deal. Paul is the single greatest missionary to ever walk this planet, and he wrote this book of Philippians that we're going to be in for the next few weeks. Paul wrote much of the New Testament, not most of it. I'll tell you he wrote most of it later today. Okay, Many of his letters, not all of them, but many of his letters are called prison epistles. Okay, Because he wrote them while he was in prison. Four of them, actually. Ephesians, if you read Ephesians in your Bible, Colossians, Philemon, those are all prison epistles. Wrote those from jail. Philippians is also that. He was in prison in Rome when he wrote this letter to Philippians. Now, interesting thing about this book of Philippians, most of Paul's letters were written in response to a conflict going on in a church, right? He would get a letter from somebody at this church and be like, hey, Jimmy's doing this, John's doing this, Jane's doing this, and it's a mess. And he'd write back and say, Jimmy quit doing this, John quit doing that, Jane get up, right? And it was a response to some conflict. That is not the case with Philippians, he just loves these people. There's no conflict. He just wants to write them a letter. He wants to encourage them. Philippians is a book of the Bible with some haymaker verses. Like, I'm talking like coffee mug stuff, right? Some haymaker verses that you, you, you are familiar with. Even maybe you don't know that you are. 
but you're familiar with them. So, for instance, he who began a good work in you will perfect it into the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1, 6, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1, 21, and then the big one, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4, 13, those are just a few of some of the haymaker verses we will cover in the next few weeks. Now, the theme of this book, I would say, is joy and thinking, or joy in the mind, or even to go further to say, real joy and maybe right thinking or a right mind. The word joy or rejoice or some form of that word is in this book 18 times in 14 verses. Depending on which version you read, it'll be somewhere uh, in that area. But, but another key word in this chapter, or in this book, I mean, is mind or like-minded or thinking. Or I even go so far as to say there's, there's a verse in there that talks about forgetting, which has to do with our mind, forgetting those things which are behind us. So joy and the mind. And what I would summarize it would be like this. If you would have real joy, don't raise your hand, but ask yourself this. Do I want real joy? And if you would, you have to have a right mind. A right mind will result in real joy. Philippians. So let's dive in. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy... Servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the, I promise you, there's no more verses we're going to read out of Philippians today. That's enough. Let me go backwards with these two verses, okay? We'll start in verse 2, then I'll get to verse 1. Verse 2, that's just a common greeting to open a letter. But it's important to note that in these common greetings, you will always see grace before peace. That's not an accident. There are no accidents in the Word of God. Like God didn't have to fill up a word requirement, so instead of Paul just writing high, he put grace and peace because now it's three words instead of one. I know how it worked in college when you had to write long papers. That's not the case here. There's a reason for that. So if you're here today, and maybe you're like, man, I've got to try this church thing. It's 2017. I've got to try something new because my life is a wreck. And I, need, I just got to find some peace. I want to tell you this. The truth of God's word would say this. You're never going to find real peace until you experience the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why grace always comes before peace in the Bible. So if that's you today, and you're like, man, I want to experience, I want to know more about this grace, I'm begging you, come talk to me. After this, grace comes before peace. Now, let's go to verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're underlining your Bible, feel free or, or do what you want here, but I would suggest underline this sentence. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are, on, who are in Philippi. Why do I bring that up? Saints, the word there, hagios, which means consecrated to God, it means holy, and the idea of saints, plural, is a group of people set apart for the Lord and his kingdom and his mission. So here's what I want to tell you today. You need to get this. If you are a believer and the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, 
You are a saint. That's important. Because when we hear that word saint, immediately we dive into our knowledge, maybe some of us limited knowledge, of maybe the Roman Catholic theology of saints and sainthood. And we need to differentiate here why this is important. Okay? And, I'm, and I'm saying this with all due respect, but the Roman Catholic Church does not get to decide who a saint is. God does. And the difference here is in Roman Catholic theology, saints are in heaven. In the Bible, saints are on earth. That's important. In Roman Catholic teaching, a person does not become a saint unless he or she is what we'd call canonized by the Pope or a prominent bishop. In the Bible, everyone who has received Jesus Christ as their Savior is a saint. We have to know that moving forward. Because listen to me, that is our identity. And if you don't realize that as your identity, you will struggle. And if you don't realize that as your identity, you cannot and will not experience real joy. Philippians was written to the saints, specifically those in Philippi, but it was written to the saints. Now, this letter would have been written and intended, Paul would have known this letter was going to be read aloud to those saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. He knew that. So the question then becomes, who are these saints? Like, who is he writing to? That's a worthwhile question. How does Paul know who these people are? How does he even know people in Philippi? If we're going to understand this book, if you're going to understand really anything, you need to understand its beginnings. So that's what we're going to do. So for the rest of the day, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Acts chapter 16. We have to go to Acts chapter 16 if we're ever going to understand the book of Philippians. So let's go there. Now while, you're, while you are going there, I'm going to make a bold statement. We're going to read a passage of Scripture, and I would say this. What we're going to read is the second most important historical event in the life of an American Christian, only second to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 16. I know it's a bold statement. You can choose to agree or disagree with me. I'll explain it. So let's dive in. Acts chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Now they right there, we know for sure if you read a little bit ahead of this, is Paul and Timothy. Possibly Silas is with them already. We don't know that, but it's uh, a good chance he was. I'll explain that in a minute. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word, in Asia. Now, when you hear Asia there, all you got to think about is modern-day Turkey. That's not Asia like we know it. Some of our maps growing up would say Asia Minor. Okay? Modern-day Turkey is actually what he's talking about there. And they had come to Mysia, and there attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now, we're going to stop there because i got to bring something to your attention. Here's the deal about Paul. Paul was a man with a plan. Like, but when he was Saul, he was a man on a mission, a man with a plan. He was wired a certain way. 
right? And here he is, Roman, modern-day Turkey, ready to preach the gospel. Like he knows that's what he's supposed to do. And the Holy Spirit of God wouldn't let him. And this could not have been fun for the man, Paul, because that's not how he's wired. It says the Holy Spirit of God would not let him. So I want to bring this to your attention. Saints, to all the saints here today, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And with most of our backgrounds, we get a little nervous when we start talking about the Holy Spirit. I want to leave that to a little bit the more charismatic folk. But the Holy Spirit of God lives in us. And here's what I would tell us. It's time that we as believers start giving credit where credit is due. Now, here's what I mean by that. Any of you ever not do a business deal? Not buy a home? Not take a job? And then respond with like, just something in my gut. Couldn't say yes. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. It's time we give credit where credit is due. It wasn't your gut. The Holy Spirit of God is in you and guides you and talks to you. And that's what we see happen here with Paul. And here's what I want to tell you up front, Hill City Church. Here's, here is what we desire, I hope you desire. We want spirit-led individuals. And you know, it's not just Paul here. It's Paul, Timothy, probably Silas at this point. We want spirit-led individuals, and we want spirit-led individuals to get on spirit-led teams. And that will result in a spirit-led, spirit-filled church. We have to be that, Hill City. So the question I'm going to ask just based off these two verses, have you given control of your life to the Holy Spirit? Does that even make sense to you? And then are you with a team of people? Are you surrounded with some like-minded people who are led by the exact same Spirit? Here's what we learn. There is no joy in living an isolated life. Paul didn't do it. No one in the Bible did it. We shouldn't do it. There's no joy in living an isolated life. Let's go on. So they're waiting around. They go to Troas. Verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. There is a lot there. Stay with me. What I just read to you is the second most important historical event in the life of an American Christian. Second only to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Why is that event right there? Why is that dream so important? This vision, this dream, marks one of the most important turning points in history because it turned Paul westward into Europe. We've got a map up here. You can see where it says Asia. He's hanging over there in East Asia, right? And they're, they're looking for a place. They want to preach the gospel. God says, no, don't talk here in Asia. Keep your mouth. Don't. Okay, Paul, man, the plan. Fine. I'm going up to Bithynia. Like, there's some good port cities. Where, like, that's where the action is. Let's go to that city. 
The Holy Spirit of God says no. So he wants to go northeast. Holy Spirit of God says no. Now look at that line at the top. It's purple. I don't know if you can tell. And it goes all the way over to Troas. Westward. It was this dream where the evangelization of the West begins. If it had not been for this dream and Paul's obedience, you and I would still be worshiping sticks and rocks and the great spirit. This is huge. Paul was being directed to go to the world of culture, art, sport, democracy. He was led to preach the gospel in Europe. Now up there where it says Macedonia, that's Greece. Some of those cities you may recognize. That's modern-day Greece. You've heard a lot about in the news about Greece lately, more about a year or two ago because their economy tanked. But that's where Paul was going to preach the gospel. Now, here's what's so exciting about this particular passage. Paul, the driven Paul, finally has a mission that's defined. Like, he knows the mission is to preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit saying, don't do it. And then God defines his mission. Go preach the gospel in Macedonia. Now, something else happens there in verse, verse 10. We have to note, you know how we were reading it says they, 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 they? Well, then when we get to verse 10, after the dream, it says come over to Macedonia. Or it says, and then Paul had seen the vision, and immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. So had Silas not been with Paul, he is now the writer of Acts, who is actually the guy who wrote the most of the New Testament, Luke. Luke joins the team. Now Paul wrote more books of the New Testament, but man, Luke, would he's like the most thorough historian to ever walk the planet. When he would write, he wouldn't stop. Like his books were like this thick. So he wrote most of the New Testament. They joined the team. So here's what happened. Mission's defined. Sweet, we're going to Macedonia. So the partiers of the group were like, sweet, let's party for a couple days. We're pumped. We finally got the mission defined. Let's knock a few back. Then we'll gear up, and then we'll head over to Macedonia. That's not what the Bible says. Something else the Bible doesn't say for the super, like, spiritual people in the group. The mission was defined Go to Macedonia and preach the gospel. And Paul and his buddies didn't say, okay, guys, we got the mission. Now let's circle up and pray about this for a few days before we obey. It's an important word in this passage. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go. Do you want joy? Do you want real joy? Have the Holy Spirit of God take up residence inside of you. Then get on a spirit-filled team. And then immediately dive into the mission of God. Like, don't wait. Some of you are looking for joys because you've never jumped in. Immediately. So that's what they did. Now, before we move on, i got to explain this. Paul had a certain mode of operation, 
right? When he would go to share the gospel in cities, he had a mode of operation. And here, this is mode of operation. He would go to the city. Then he'd find a synagogue in that city. Then he would go to that synagogue. In that synagogue, then he would preach the gospel, right? And after he did that, he split the crowd, like, right down the middle, right? And you have this side over here, they're ticked. And you have this side over here, they're like, yeah, I believe what this guy's saying. Like, you have this side over here, it's like, works-based and weird diet, we're sticking with it. And you have this crowd over here that's like, wait a minute, by grace through faith and bacon, we're in. Like, we're going with this guy. We're done with this weird diet. And then Paul would take the half that believed, and you know what he did? He'd just go plant a church. He'd plant a church with a half that believed. It's the greatest missionary that ever lived, greatest church planter that ever lived. It's genius. Now, that's important. I'm going to tell you why that's important after we read verse 11 and 12. So, there they are in Troas. You saw that on the coast there. Setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. Now, here's the deal. A southeast Missourian says Samothrace. Got it? Like, if I was a culture dude, I'd say something like Samothracia or something. That's kind of how it's pronounced. But Samothrace, whatever. And the following day, they went to Neapolis. And from there, they went to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days. Now, that's important. It's a Roman colony. Now, I told you Paul's mode of operation. So here's what happened. They land. And they walk eight more miles, and they get to Philippi. And Paul's like, Timothy, Silas, I need to do something. Google, like, synagogues in Philippi. We've got to figure this out. We've got to see where we're going. So what happened is Timothy and Silas Googled synagogues in Philippi, and nothing came up. There was no synagogue. Now, that's important because the reason there's no synagogue, if you read history, for there to be a synagogue in a city, you had to have ten Jewish men who would worship at that synagogue. There wasn't one. So what's that tell you about Philippi? Not very many Jews there. But that's Paul's mode of operation. He's going into a synagogue full of Jews, preach the gospel, split down the middle, plant a church. He can't do that. So what do they do? Panic? Well, I guess we'll go back across the sea. There's no synagogue here. Like, we all know that guy, right? Anything just goes a little bit off of what you would expect, like total meltdown, right? Paul wasn't having it. Like, he would have kicked you off of his team. You don't have time for you if that's you. Actually, he did kick a dude off his team. That's why Mark isn't with him on this trip. You can read about that later. I'm telling you, he was a no-nonsense dude. Let's move on. Verse 13. They had to get a different plan. It says, On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed... There was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. Now, they spoke to the women who had gathered there. Here's what you need to know. There were just some women in a Jewish prayer meeting, and they spoke to them. They weren't exchanging recipes. That means the, Paul shared the gospel with these women. Verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. She did not know Jesus, worshiper of God. Only thing that means is she was a non-Jewish woman who thought there's got to be a little bit more to life. I'm going to go pray with these ladies the way these ladies do it. It's important. We'll bring that up in a minute. 
She's a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, the gospel. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, there's a lot to talk about there. This is huge. I love this passage. And then I'm just going to be honest with you, like the inner, like sexist in me doesn't so much love this passage. Because I'm like a guy's guy. So Paul and his boys go to this Jewish prayer meeting of women. They meet Lydia. Remember Lydia? Says she was a seller of purple. I don't have time to unpack that. That is a fascinating thing. Here's all you need to know about a seller of purple today. She was successful. She was high class. She was wealthy. She was experienced. She was strong. She was organized. She was intelligent. She was an executive career woman. Like, it says she was from Thyatira. She was in Philippi. Just think of it like this. She was in the fashion industry. She had a house in L.A. She had a house in New York. She went back and forth making her money, respected by the elites. Here's what I want to tell you, because this is a side note. This is not necessarily taught in Philippians, maybe not even necessarily taught in Acts, but I want to be very clear here. We want strong women to thrive at Hill City Church. We are not going to stereotype at Hill City Church. We're not going to live in stereotypes. Now, we don't want strong leading women of Hill City Church at the expense of strong leading men. But we don't want strong leading men at the expense of strong leading women. We want to and we will fully and faithfully preach the gospel. And where that happens... Strong women will thrive, and strong men will thrive. The best thing for this church is that we faithfully and fully preach the gospel, and the best thing for this church is that strong men and strong women thrive, and the best thing for this city is that strong, godly men and godly women rise up together. That is how this city will flourish. We are not going to live in stereotypes. Now, I gave you all those adjectives of Lydia, right? Let me give you a couple more. Religious, moral, and dead in her sins. But man, she was at a prayer meeting. Yep. But she was at church. Yep. And maybe in this room, that was some of you. And maybe it was in your religiousness and in your moral life and in your pretty cush, comfortable way of life that the Lord found you and opened your heart and redeemed you. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Lydia's in the crowd listening to this letter be read. The gospel goes to Europe and the first person to pass from death to life is a career woman. Is that how you would have written the story, dudes? She gets redeemed, not just her, all in her house. And you know what she does? Immediately joins the mission. If you look at the last passage there I read, she's like, 
if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And it says, and she prevailed upon us. Listen, this chick has used to sitting with the highest powered people on the planet. She's not intimidated by Paul and his guys. Matter of fact, she's like, look, I believe in Jesus. If you believe that I believe in Jesus, you're going to come to my house. There is no other answer but yes, we'll see you there. And Paul looked at Timo and Silas is like, hey, we're we going to her house. Like, she prevailed upon them. If that type of woman scares you guys, get over it. To all the saints. So was this you? Quasi-religious? Moral? Maybe this is you. make this point. You want joy. You want real joy. Spirit-filled life on a spirit-filled team. Dead set on the mission. And you better, if you're going to be dead set on the mission, you better crush and refuse any stereotypes. Especially Midwestern United States stereotypes. Paul had a vision about a man in Macedonia, not a woman. Yep. Let's look at suspect number two. Verse 16. And we were going to a place of prayer, and we were met by a slave girl. (sighs) Who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul. And us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the day of salvation over and over again. These men are men of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation over and over and over. And she kept doing this many days, and Paul became greatly annoyed. I get it. And he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, here's the deal. Suspect number two, you have a slave girl. And this girl has nothing in common with Lydia. She's a female. That's it. It's the only thing she has in common with Lydia. She's demon-possessed fortune teller. She made her owners a lot of money. She's not screaming that in support of Paul and his team, she's doing it to distract. And Paul gets fed up. And he turns and he casts out the demon. And the slave girl is redeemed. And maybe this slave girl was you. Saints. You're like, man, I'm not even a girl. Well, hear me out. Maybe you have no idea what it's like to be Lydia, a professional business person, wealthy, high class. Maybe you have no idea what that's like. Maybe, you're, maybe you were not religious at all. Like, you look back at your story, and you're like, dude, ain't nobody going to be, that, the Lord wasn't finding me at a prayer meeting. If he was going to find me, it was not going to be at church. Maybe that was some of your story. Completely twisted taken advantage of, abused, 
totally given into this way of life that is just completely and totally sinful and unprincipled way of living. Maybe that was you. Maybe Jesus found you at the bottom. Maybe he found you like bound by the cruelty of alcohol abuse, drug abuse. Maybe he found you in like the nastiness of some sort of sexual sin that inflicted chaos upon your life. And maybe you were being treated cheaply. And maybe you treated yourself cheaply. cheaply and maybe that is what the Lord redeemed you from. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, a slave girl is sitting in the crowd listening to this letter of Philippians be read aloud. So to summarize the next few verses, here's what ends up happening. These guys that owned this girl quit making their money. They got ticked. So they go see Paul and they get him in trouble. They take him to the rulers, and the rulers decide to have Paul and Silas beat crazy, bloody, bruised, beat up. They go take him to a prison. They tell a jailer, hey, keep these guys safe. We just beat the heck out of them. Just keep them safe. We'll deal with them another time. And the jailer then just doesn't put them in jail. He puts them in what's called the innermost cell and puts them in stocks. And I'm summarizing verses 19 through 24. Now, the innermost part of a prison in first century Rome, let me explain this to you, would have been a little bit lower than all the other cells surrounding. So you have all these cells with prisoners and you have this innermost cell. Now, don't answer out loud. What flows downhill? So Paul and Silas are put in this innermost cell in stocks where human waste would just run downhill to this inner place. Let's pick up in verse 25. Remember, all the prisoner was told to do, just keep these men safely. Verse 25, it's going to be a pretty long passage, bear with me. So they're in prison. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembled with fear. And he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Most important question you could ever ask. Paul says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Remember, they just got the junk beat out of them. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire house that he had believed in God. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to step out of the perfect word of God here a minute. I'm just going to go to some history. Knowing that what I'm getting ready to tell you is not in the Bible, but I think it can help us. 
Philippi was a city that was heavily populated by military men and their families. Now, historically speaking, in major Roman metropolitan areas like Philippi, the jailers of these jails were almost always former military men. And as a gift for like retirement, they've done, they did their duty. And as a gift for retirement, it'd be like, hey, we're going to send you to Philippi. It's a nice place. Just watch over this jail. You and your family live happily ever after. It was, like an, it was just like a, a, a reward. Okay, now why does this matter? Roman soldiers, while performing their duties, saw things and did things that no human should ever see or do. You can read about it in history. For example, they would go in and take over a city. And then what they would do is they would, there, there are historical accounts of them crucifying up to 20,000 people, men, women, and children. And then after crucifying, they would hang them on the walls of the city or line the streets coming into that city with these dead bodies, Roman soldiers. Now, why would they do that? Well, just in case there are a group of country boys sitting on their tailgates listening to Hank Jr. getting froggy thinking I'm going to get my shotgun rifle, four-wheel drive, and I'm going to survive a rebellion. Like Rome wasn't having it. So they would do this to deter any people on the outskirts of the city from rising up. And it worked. I don't know if we have any soldiers in this room. I, I think we do. I love you. I appreciate you. God bless you and your family. So I don't mean any disrespect with what I'm getting ready to say. Soldiers even today, when they come home from war, many of them have what's called post-traumatic stress syndrome. That is not new. It's just they called it something different probably in first century Rome. This guy probably saw some things he was never meant to see. And what happens is when you come back from seeing and participating in some things like that, is you're aggressive, you're violent, you're just mean, you're bitter. Because you can't unsee the things that you saw or the things that you did. A lot of soldiers just don't know how to own what they participated in. And here you have this jailer is told, hey, just keep them safely. They'd already been beat up. And you have this jailer, it's like, okay, let's put them in the inner prison. Put them in a place that would rob them or most people of their dignity, where human waste would run on them. He dehumanizes them. This guy's bitter. This guy's angry. I don't know why he did it. But here's what I know. Jesus redeemed him. To the saints in Jesus Christ at Philippi, that soldier is sitting in the crowd, and he's not just sitting by himself. His whole family is in this crowd listening to this letter of Philippians. Maybe that story of the jailers where some of you were found, saints. Like, man, I, I never went to war. I was never a jailer. I, I understand that. But maybe something happened like in your past that's got you or had you angry and had you bitter. 
Maybe you saw or experienced some things that were unthinkable, some things you shouldn't have seen. Maybe you saw or experienced things that weren't your fault. And you're angry and you're bitter, and God stepped in and redeemed you out of that. Maybe that's what you have in common with the jailer. So I don't want you to raise your hand. I just want us to do some evaluation here. Any former Lydia's in the room? Any former slave girls in the room? Any former soldiers in the room? And God redeemed you. Maybe, maybe all that you have in common with the three stories we have here is that God redeemed you out of something. Let's, at least, let's just let's at least go there, right? To all the saints in Christ Jesus. This letter is for you. If you've been redeemed out of anything, this letter to the Philippians is for you. Like, man, I can't really identify with that. Maybe a more practical application for you today is that you're looking at Paul and Silas. Now, stay with me, saints, because I know some of you, what I'm getting ready to I know some of you are here. That's the weight of being a pastor is you know, th- you know the stories sitting in front of you. Maybe a more practical application for you is Paul and Silas, right? Here they are. It's midnight. They're locked up, beaten, bloody, naked, soaked in human waste. Now, let's think about this. What got them there? They obeyed the Lord. That's what got them there. Let me step out of this just for a minute. Listen, it's prevalent in the Ozarks. I'm going to try to control my anger. It's called health and wealth gospel. It's prevalent in the Ozarks. You cannot... Get that from the Word of God. It's garbage. Here these two men are, soaked in human waste because they obeyed the Lord. And you got these fools that are like standing up teaching that if you obey the Lord, great things will happen to you. That is not a promise. And some of you got to go like to your bookshelves. You got to like. You know what, Ron, you know Ron Swanson, stay with me if you know what I'm talking about. Like, you know what he would do to a veggie burger? Like, some of you got to get to your bookshelves, and you got to empty them of some of the junk that you're reading. You cannot look at the Bible and these men who obeyed the Lord and conclude that health and wealth gospel is even remotely plausible. So Paul and Silas, sorry, that was a rant. Wasn't even here, like... Just a rant. I don't have time for rants here. They didn't really deserve to be there. And maybe that's your testimony today. You're like, Lord, I have served you. I've obeyed you. I've given my life to the mission. You're doing all that you know to be obedient. Your heart is in the right spot. And yet in your world, it's like midnight dark in your life. It's real. It's in this room.
You're in an inner cell and like maybe not literal human waste, but like the crap of life just keeps flowing. It's like, man, I can't catch a break. Did he just say crap? I want to encourage you. If that's your story today, let me encourage you today. I can't even tell you how to do this, but I want to encourage you today. Sing and pray. Sing and pray. Paul and Silas did not feel like singing and praying, I promise you. But they made up their minds. Philippians, theme of Philippians, right mind. They made up their minds that no matter what, they were going to sing. No matter what, they were going to pray. And here's the deal. The jailer and all the prisoners were watching and listening. This is huge. The prisoners stayed. Like there's an earthquake. No more chains. The prisoners stayed. In what prison in the United States is that going to happen? None. The prisoners stayed. They're watching. They're listening. And I want to encourage you today. And know this. Lost, imprisoned, hurting, scared people, saints are watching you. And they're listening to you. They don't care how much you love your church. Hashtag. You got me? I hope you love your church, guys. I, I love mine. Lost people don't care how much you love your church. They don't care how often you go. They don't care about your Bible knowledge. Here's what they're watching. Yeah, all that's good. Let me watch him. Let me watch her go through the same junk that I've gone through. Let me see how they handle it. That's what they're watching. And if you handle it the same way they would, they're not going to believe any kind of gospel that you or I share with them. It's a sham. So Hill City Church, can, can we Paul and Silas it for the rest of our lives? Can we learn how to suffer with joy? Hopefully we can get in Philippians and learn how to do that. So to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Hill City Church. Are you ready for some spirit-filled teamwork? Because that's what we're about here. I hope you're ready for that. Are you courageous enough to immediately jump into the mission? Because it takes courage. And are you ready to live out your identity as a saint? If you are a believer, you are a saint. So we're going to receive communion. If you're new here, I just want to let you know kind of how we roll. Every day, every gathering, we rehearse the gospel, and we do that unapologetically. We do it through our music, and we always end with receiving communion as another way to rehearse the gospel. So as we get ready to receive this, 
Won't you guys bow your heads with me? Can you evaluate? Let's do some self-evaluation before we receive communion here. And here's what I would ask you to do. It's going to sound very familiar to most of you. But Hill City, to all the saints at Hill City Church, can you have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. And that's what we're celebrating here right now. So God, as we come, as we partake of this meal, may we even be further reminded of the truth of the gospel and the power of the gospel. God, may we Just even take a moment to reflect and think back of what we were redeemed from. God, may we reflect on what you rescued us out of. And may you get the glory here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.